Acts chapter 25 tonight, if you would please. This is Sermon 50, believe it or not, Sermon 50 out of the book of Acts. And as we continue in our series, A Church for His Name, Acts chapter number 25 tonight. We're going to look at the whole chapter. Uh, there's a lot more here than, than uh, maybe what we're going to cover in great detail, but just to get the general overview and uh, main idea. The title of the sermon tonight is this, Blameless Before Your Critics. Blameless Before Your Critics. And Paul is surrounded by men who were opposing him. And so we're going to see that tonight. And I want to acknowledge none of us have faced what Paul has faced, but all of us face opposition in one way or the other. And I hope it will be a help here uh, tonight to your spiritual life. So Acts chapter number 25, and how about we begin in verse number 1. Now when Festus was coming to the province after three days, he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, lying wait in the way to kill him. That was the Jews' plan. Okay, verse number 4 says, But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man, if there be any wickedness in him. So Festus says, fine, if you'd like to come with me, then that's fine, but I'm, I'm not bringing him down here. Okay, look at verse number 6. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down into Caesarea. And the next day, sitting, upon, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. <coughs> Pardon me. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints, grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he himself... While he answered for himself, rather, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem, and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews... Have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest? For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. I don't think they were expecting that one. It says in verse number 12, Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appear, appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar shalt thou go. Let's read on tonight. And after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying, There is a certain man left in bonds by Felix. About whom, when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders and of the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him, to whom I answered, It is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die before that he which is accused have accusers face to face, to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. Therefore... When they were come thither without any delay on the morrow, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought forth. 
against whom uh, the accusers stood up. They brought none accusation of such things as I supposed, but had certain questions against him of their own superstition and of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether he would whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these matters. But when Paul had appealed to be reserved into the hearing of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I might send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said unto Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, thou shalt hear him. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come, and Bernice, with great pomp, and was entered into the palace of hearing with the chief captains and principal men of the city, at Festus' commandment, Paul was brought forth. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all men which are here present with us, ye see this man, about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him, of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord. Wherefore, I brought him before you, especially especially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination I might have somewhat to write. For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner, and not with all to signify the crimes laid against him. Everybody get that? He's saying it sure would be nice to have something to accuse him of. If I'm going to send him to Caesar. He says, I'm going to need some help here. And so uh, this man, Agrippa, and Bernice here, Paul, and we will get into that the next time when we're in chapter number 26. Blameless before your critics. Blameless before your critics. May God bless the reading of your wor- his word. And you may be seated. We live in a world filled with critics. Sports critics, right? Talking about sports. Book critics. Food critics. Church critics. Preacher critics. I read about George Whitfield. George Whitfield, of course, a famous, uh, well-known preacher. Many days gone by. Very tremendous preacher, used greatly. George Whitfield once received a, a mean letter, just a mean, nasty letter. He replied in this fashion, I thank you heartily for your letter. As for what you and my other enemies are saying against me, I know worse things about myself than you will ever say about me. <laughs> With love, in Christ, George Whitfield. <laughs> Pretty good. I like it. Another preacher received a note, and it, and it simply said this, Fool! That's what he said. Fool. He said he'd received a, a lot of unsigned letters, but he'd never received a letter signed but no message. <laughs> hey, you know, we all face criticism. I'm sure every one of you in here, in some form or fashion, I mean, you know, you, you've either given criticism or you've faced criticism. I mean, it, it, it's, it's where we live. It's where we live. Now, here's what we're dealing with tonight. If somebody is uh, confronting you about something that you're doing that's wrong, you ought to listen to them. By the way, I, I, there's, I, here's what I've learned, that there's always something to learn from criticism. Always. It, you know, we're, none of us are perfect. We're, we're always, 
in a state of struggle and growth. And so we can learn from, from everybody. We can learn. So we're, none of us are above criticism, including myself. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't welcome it. I don't like say, please, bring it, you know. Uh, but if there is criticism there, I want to hear it out and I want to interact with it and, and listen to it. Okay, and there's things to learn there. But what we're not talking about in this context, because the context of the chapter itself does not deal with that. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says, now look, and I'm paraphrasing. He says this, if you're suffering for wrongdoing that you've done, you had it coming to you. Right? I mean, if you've done wrong and, and you're being reprimanded or you're being corrected and, and you're definitely in the wrong, you've done something that is not right, then you had it coming to you. Don't whine about it. Okay, now that's a real loose paraphrase. But that's basically what Peter is saying. Don't, don't cry about that. But then Peter goes on to say, and Peter, by the way, knew something about what it was to face scrutiny and criticism and, and persecution, having been beat and all those things as we've read in the book of Acts. Then he says this to this church who is facing, and churches and individuals who are facing uh, some difficulty by way of persecution and criticism and such as that. He says this, if you're doing right and you're suffering for it, then rejoice. Then rejoice and commit the keeping of your soul unto the one that, that is faithful. In other words, just trust the Lord and, and keep, continue doing right. Amen. Just continue doing right. I have in my office a, a um, portrait that someone shared with me a saying and, and just made it into a, a gift. And, and it says this, for every achievement, there's a price. For every goal, there's an opponent. For every victory, there's a problem. And for every triumph, there's a sacrifice. I believe that's exactly right. No one relishes opposition. If you're thinking right about it, it's not like you're just, you know, um, now God says rejoice, but it's not like you're just happy to be receiving it. I think you understand what the Lord was saying there. You know, I, I just heard a message on Jeremiah in chapter number 20. When Jeremiah was... Uh, uh, he was being attacked by some of his own family and, and his own countrymen and, and faced great opposition. And, and the basic gist of it was that, you know, I'm, here I am being virtually your mouthpiece. Uh, he's speaking to God and I, I'm saying what you want me to say. And all this is coming back at me. And, and basically Jeremiah turned in his resignation letter and said, I'm not going to speak anymore in your name. Said Jeremiah. The prophet, he turned in his resignation letter. But his word, he said, but your word is in my heart as a burning fire. He says, and I was weary with withholding back. In other words, he's saying, but I had to preach. So I draw back that resignation letter. He kept serving. You might remember that Jesus foretold his disciples that they would face those who would accuse them. He says, remember the word, this is in John 15, you don't have to turn there, but he says, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And then in uh, Matthew chapter 5, he said, blessed are they that are, which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. 
The Lord said to his disciples also that they would stand before kings and rulers. Do you remember that? And like uh, Mark chapter number 13, he says, They shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues you shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake as a testimony against them. In particular, the Lord let Paul know through Ananias and directly as well, the Lord showed him that, Paul, you're going to bear my name before the Gentiles and before kings. So what we're reading now in Acts chapter number 25 is a direct fulfillment of what Jesus said was going to happen to Paul anyways, that he would stand before kings. And so here he is standing now before King Agrippa. And also, eventually, he's going to stand before, uh, before Caesar and, and all these officials. So what Jesus said would happen most definitely is happening. And Paul would write to Timothy, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's going to come. So here we have Paul surrounded. I want you to look again at verse number 7 uh, to get the idea of this. It says, And when he was come, the Jews came down from Jerusalem. The Jews which came down from Jerusalem, coming down just uh, means this, Jerusalem was at a higher elevation. Caesarea was to the north, but it was coming down from Jerusalem. Here's what they did. The first thing, it says they stood round about him. They encircled him. So here is uh, Festus standing or sitting there on the Bema seat. And all these Jews, these individuals that are bringing accusation, the chief leaders, they stand around uh, Paul and they're bringing accusations against Paul. Look what type of accusations or how the Bible describes them. It says this, they stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul. Many, so they were numerous and grievous. And so the word grievous there, as you look it up, it's the word from which we get burden, burdensome, um, it means heavy in weight, severe, stern, violent, cruel, unsparing. And so they are relenting, uh, they're unrelenting rather with their accusations against him, their complaints. The word complaints means charges or accusations. And so they are laying all this on Paul. And what does he do? Paul stands even while others are standing against him. I imagine that there'd be somebody that's standing against you in some form or fashion. And we'll talk about that towards the end of the message here tonight, how that that would play out into our day-to-day living, because we're not going to face something like what Paul has. But there may be members of your own family that that uh, have accusations against you or criticism at least towards you or people at work or church or or some of your friends and such as that. Here's what I'd like for us to consider tonight. How did Paul find strength to stand even when others were standing against him. So just a little bit of background here as we get into it. Paul, obviously, in chapter number 24, was brought before Felix. Felix um, was the governor of the land at that time. And he was uh, a man who was very loose in his morals, as we found as we got into it uh, the last time. And so um, Felix uh, was very, uh, very much convicted by what he heard from Paul. So much so that he put things off, he diverted the matter. I mean, really, this man was under a lot of, uh, lot of conviction. He listened to Paul, and the, with, along with him, his wife, his young, attractive wife named Drusilla. Drusilla uh, was encouraged by Felix to divorce her husband to marry Felix. So this was her second marriage, and it happened to be Felix's third marriage. Paul 
preach to them about righteousness, temperance, self-control, and the judgment to come. Here's what I gather from that. Paul wasn't into preaching seeker-sensitive messages (laughs) that made the audience feel better about themselves. In fact, I wrote it down this way. Instead of preaching about self-esteem, he preached about self-control. And as a result of that, Felix trembled. Listen tonight, if we understand the holiness of God, there's times in your life it ought to bring you to a place of trembling. And so Paul stood before this man, Felix, I believe in a very respectful way. He was very respectful. What we read of him was very respectful. And it was very bold as he stood before this man, Felix, and called out his sin and called out his wrong ways. And it's a sobering thought tonight that unless Felix trusted Christ, that we don't have record of that, there's a sobering thought tonight that this man who put the gospel off for a more convenient season is right now in hell. It's a sobering thought. After two years of imprisonment in Caesarea, Paul appeared before the new governor. Felix went out of office. Festus came into office. And Felix, doing the Jews a pleasure, left Paul in prison. He did not release him. He had no real grounds to keep Paul in prison. There was nothing Paul had done, either against even the Jews, but especially against Rome. There was no reason that he should detain Paul in prison, but he did. And so uh, now the new governor named Felix, or sorry, Festus is on the scene. As a first uh, matter of business, he travels down to Jerusalem. That would be the appropriate thing for him to do, such a strategic city. And so upon arriving in Jerusalem, it's not long until those Jewish leaders there brought accusation against this man, Paul, who was under his, his jurisdiction back in Caesarea. They wanted Festus, as we read, to transfer Paul back to Jerusalem under the guise that they would try him there in Jerusalem and try to get this matter settled. Well, what they really had was a secret plot to kill him. Previously, they had interacted with 40 men who vowed to vowed themselves to kill Paul with their agreement. They moved ahead on that, but it was their plot to do so. Now we have the chief priests themselves who are plotting his murder. Things are becoming more intense against Paul. Festus says, no, he's going to stay in Caesarea. If you want to accuse him, you come up to Caesarea. I'm not bringing him down. Little did he know that God was using that to spare Paul's life. And extend his ministry. And that's a blessing for us. Because now we have Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. And and on and on we have a lot more even of the New Testament. So God God intervened there uh, by way of providence. So now, Paul is brought before Festus. The Jews, his accusers, surround him in a vicious way. Bringing accusations against him. None that they could prove. None that they could prove. But you don't have to have proof to make an accusation, to bring a criticism. And so that was certainly what was going on in Paul's life. And so Paul defended himself. He had the opportunity to say, I've not done anything against against, uh, the temple. I I did not do as they are saying to defile it. I, I did not cause a riot. I was not causing any trouble for Rome. I've not done anything to break the law. Paul is basically saying, I'm blameless of all the accusations that have been brought. Instead of... Being fair and just, Festus shows favoritism to the Jews. And he says, would you be willing, Paul, to go down to Jerusalem to be tried there before me and the other Jewish governing body? 
What he should have done is had nerve to let him go. But you know, favoritism distorts justice. And politics gets in the way of righteousness. And so that's what Festus did. Paul, listen, knew that he had no chance, no chance of a real fair trial in Jerusalem. That had already been proven. And so instead then he appealed, which was kind of unprecedented. They didn't have anything, any other cases to go by here of a man who had not even been prosecuted yet, who had never, not even been proven guilty. Normally that would be the procedure. If you're proven guilty at one court, you could go higher. And so you could make your appeal there. But here Paul has not been proven guilty and yet he appeals to the higher court. Festus convenes and counsels with others and so basically comes down to this verdict saying, if you've appealed to Caesar, then to Caesar you shall go. And Paul gets a free ticket to Rome. And the gospel moves forward. In the process of time also, Agrippa and Bernice. I want to talk to you a little bit here tonight about Agrippa and Bernice. They come for a visit, uh, most likely just to visit Festus as he's the new governor of the land. Agrippa was part Jewish. He's a son of Herod Agrippa I, which was the uh, Herod Agrippa of Acts chapter 12, who put James to death. His sister, listen to this now, this is going to start to sound a little bit like a soap opera, just bear with me here a minute. His sister, Agrippa's sister, uh, was Drusilla and uh, uh, married to Felix. So there's a whole big family connection here. Okay, so Drusilla was a sister married to Felix, and so that connection. But then also he's the great-grandson of Herod the Great that was in Matthew chapter 2. And so this, this is the family of the Herods, that being a title. And so he's called king. He was allowed by Rome, Roman authorities to appoint the high priest. Being part Jewish, uh, he was given that liberty. And so he was trusted by Rome and also had involvement with Jewish matters. He was very well versed in religious matters pertaining to the Jews and Jewish issues. And so because he was both loyal to Rome and understood Jewish matters, Festus, who didn't really understand Jewish matters, as you can tell by his verbiage there that he uses, that this superstition about of the Jews and this man named Jesus, whom Paul said was alive... He pulls Agrippa into this because he needs his counsel. He needs his help. Bernice. Bernice was also the sister of Agrippa. So you have Agrippa and Bernice. Bernice was married to her uncle, Herod uh, Chalcis. He died, and so when he died, she went to live with her brother Agrippa. Is everybody following this? Is this making sense? So she goes to live with her brother Agrippa. It was rumored that they had an incestuous relationship. It was all over Rome. Josephus records even as such, the Jewish historian. It's a matter of gossip. See, gossip is not new. They just didn't have Facebook back then. It was more face-to-face. Did you hear about Bernice and Agrippa? So there's this whole, I mean, this brother-sister, they're always together together. Rumors, I'm telling you, were just flying. Well, to try to calm down some of the rumors, she became the mistress of Titus. Titus, who in AD 70 overthrew Rome, overthrew Jerusalem, rather. He wanted to marry her, but he couldn't marry her because he was a Roman and she was a Jew. It was against social customs, and so that just didn't work out. So she went back to Agrippa. I'm just pointing all that out because here you have in Paul an innocent man standing before people who could make the tabloids. 
Festus says, would you help me on this? And so he summarizes the case against Paul and saying, I'm very confused about all this. I thought it was going to go one way, but it went totally a different direction. And I don't believe they have any grounds. In fact, I'm really struggling right now. Can you just imagine what he's thinking here? And he's trying to have something. I know I've got to send, I've got to write down something to send. uh, If he's going to appear before all people, Caesar, then I've got to have something to send to say that he's guilty of something. Can you help me figure something out to pin on this guy? You know, that's a good way to live. If you can live in such a way that it's hard for people to pin something on you, you're living a blameless life. That was Paul. So he's going to come before them. I mean, this whole thing, we're going to get more into it next week, but it says it was with great pomp. Can you imagine? I mean, everybody that was anybody was showing up here in Caesarea as you had, first of all, King Agrippa. And uh, beautiful Bernice, his sister, who's coming in with all of their fanfare and all the royalty. And and then after them, the chief uh, priest and the leaders of the city. I mean, all this. And then finally, the old Baptist preacher brought before this group. Wow. Paul stood even while there was men standing against him. How do you do that? What, what kept Paul standing? What, what kept Paul from writing his resignation letter and saying, you know, this is way too much. I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned. I've been falsely accused. All these things. I mean, really, have any of us faced anything remotely like that? Not at all. And yet here's a man that once again takes a stand, not just before Felix, but now before Festus, and he's going to stand before Agrippa and and all these things, and he just keeps standing. How do you keep standing even when you've got opposition coming against you? And it's like it's closing in around you. How do you how do you keep standing when they're when it's just like they're trying to put a vice grip on you and it's just all the pressure is there? I'll tell you why he kept standing. Basically, these two reasons. He believed that Jesus was alive because he saw him. He believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and he lived like it. If you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you live your life to honor him, you'll keep standing. That was Paul. He believed in his very soul. I mean, it wasn't, just, it wasn't just something light with him. It was a firm conviction. How many times, I mean, this has been like a reoccurring theme, has it not, throughout the book of Acts, how that they believed in the resurrection and that brought them before men and they preached Jesus crucified, buried, and risen again. And they just kept doing that. Even though others tried to stop that gospel message, they just stood once again. They locked Peter and John up. And then the next thing they know after, they'd been, after they got out, there they were preaching again and they tried to throw them back in in there again and beat them and told them, don't do that. They just kept going. Why? Because they believed that Jesus was indeed alive. And because he was alive, they wanted to live their lives in honor of him. And when, listen, when you live your life in honor of who he is, your life is blameless. And others don't have anything to accuse you of. And you'll be doing right. Listen, were they perfect? Was Paul perfect? Absolutely not. Was Peter or any of the others? No, they all had imperfections just like you and I do. But in the way that they lived their life, they were living an honorable, blameless life that brought glory to God and cause cause all kinds of disruption in Jerusalem and all other places. And why do they do that? Because they believe with all their soul. In fact, they believe with their very lives that Jesus was indeed alive. Now, what about you? 
We've already mentioned that you're not going to face the type of criticism that Paul did. But you can expect critics. Can I talk to you here for just a few moments? That if you decide, you make up your mind, I'm going to live for what is right. I'm going to stand for what is true. I'm going to live my life for the Lord. God's the one who said, you're not better than the master. If any, will, if any will live godly in Christ Jesus, he or she shall suffer persecution. It will come. Someone has said this, for every action there is an equal and opposite criticism. For every action there is an equal and opposite criticism. You'll get it from several angles, from those who are doing nothing. If you're doing something, maybe criticized by those who are doing absolutely zero. Or you may be criticized from those who are not doing right. I want to encourage you to do this tonight. Stand with good men, not against them. Stand with good men, not against them. I um, love this poem. It's called A Builder or a Wrecker. It says this, As I watch them tear tear a building down, a gang of men in a busy town, With a heave, a ho, heave, ho, and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and the sidewall fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled? And the men you hired, if you wanted to build, and the men you'd hire, if you wanted to build, he gave a laugh and said, no, indeed, just common labor is all I need. I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken years to do. And I thought to myself as I went my way, which of these roles I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by rule and square? square? Am I shaping my work to a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks to town, content with the labor of tearing down? O Lord, let my life and my labors be that which would build for eternity. I want to be one that will build and encourage people and help them along. Not one that's tearing down. I want to say this to you tonight. If you're a Christian, I'm, I mean Christ-like, not just in name, but in deed and in truth. If you're a Christian, you can expect folks to criticize you, but you ought to live in such a way that nobody will believe them. If you're a Christian, you can expect folks to criticize you, but you ought to live in such a way that nobody would believe them. This means you've got to live a blameless life. I want to create a scenario here tonight. I think about, there's several scenarios that we could create. Okay. I think about our young people. I, I see that, you know, they're, they're trying to live for the Lord. I see some of them coming out, you know, for Sunday night, coming out for Tuesday night. You keep doing that. You keep trying to live for the Lord. You'll face some opposition. People think, you know, you're just, you've gone crazy. Like you're weird for trying to live for the Lord. But you're not weird, you're right. You do it for the right motives, and you do it with the right spirit, and you do it the right way, and you do it consistently. You, you may face some opposition. As you go back to school this next school year, and you carry your Bible to school, and you try to live for the Lord, I just would anticipate that every young person in here tonight that is trying to do that, they're going to face some type of criticism, and it may even surprise you where it comes from. Think about um, ladies here tonight. 
and all that you try to do in serving the Lord and serving your family and doing what's right. And, and others may not understand you either. They think you're weird for a lot of different reasons. May even say as much. May talk about you. Does that ever happen? Imagine it would. But tonight I'd, I'd like just to focus on a man trying to lead his family in a right way. A dad, maybe who has teenage kids, who, can I create the scenario here tonight in such a way that everybody gets the, a good, clear picture? A dad who says he's been listening to the messages, he's been reading his Bible, and, and it just, it comes to him, there's some changes that need to happen in this home. Decides I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to take some steps to try to do what is right. If a man does that, he's going to face some opposition, isn't he? Some things are going to crowd in around him. Going to crowd in around him. Going to stand and maybe even accuse him. Maybe even criticize him. So let me create the scenario up here tonight. Brother Sam, I asked for your help a moment ago. I think I'm going to go ahead and use it. You mind to come up? Let me just uh, allow Brother Sam to uh, represent this man who's, uh, by the way, who's a godly man and, and his wife is godly. And, and so anything I say here tonight does not reflect what is going on in the Benzwanger home. Okay, and that's the reason I asked about this. Okay, everybody all right with that? Everybody understand? Okay. And uh, godly young men and in their home, their sons, and they've been a real blessing. So please understand that. Okay, so I'm just going to use you guys. You're on the front row, so you always get picked on. And even Jeffrey, why not? We'll just <laughs> act like old times. And So, Brother Sam, maybe he went to the men's advance. I mean, God just stirred him up. Talked to him about, you know, being set free. And heard the messages from uh, the, messages, the messages that were there. And I mean, he was just, just got some things right with the Lord. Came home on fire. He, and just zealous to make some changes and began to make those changes. He had an old friend. Brother Tim, you want to just come up and represent an old friend? Well, a young old friend. <laughs> began to ask him. Just kind of stand around him. That's good, brother. Why are you making all these radical changes? Okay, I've got all the accusations brought against him. Why are you making all these radical changes in your life? I don't understand what's going on. I mean, you used to run with us. You used to, you know, hang out with us and talk about these things. We used to laugh and have a good time about things. Anybody ever been there before? Suddenly, uh, Tim stops calling him. Stops texting him, stops showing up at his house. Talks about him. Talks about him with his other friends. unfriends him on Facebook. I mean, he just up and unfriended him. He sure did. Unfriended him on Facebook or, and or, both, posted some rude comments about Brother Sam. How he's doing this just to get attention there at that church. No doubt about it. Old friends. You with me tonight? It's not quite the same as Jews coming around you, but it's real, isn't it? People at work, you mind to come and let me give you a, at work. The Chad, his co-worker, 
He's got these lists of grievances here. You know, you wrote these down, did you? <laughs> He's concerned because uh, well, Brother Sam works hard. And he makes us look bad because he works so hard. Now, he likes to clock in, but he doesn't like to work hard. <laughs> Again, this, this is not resemblance of any truth. Any likeness is not intended. Okay, so how do you say that? Yeah, so he's saying to Brother Sam, just kind of come in here around him, stop making us look bad at the job place. You know, just, just loosen up a little bit, you know, slow down and don't, don't do so well on all that. His, he and others begin to distance themselves from him because now Brother Sam won't cheat on his time card anymore. Boss at work gives him a hard time because Brother Sam's not coming to the company party. Why aren't you coming to the company party? Maybe his friend Chad asked. He said, well, you know, there's alcohol there and I don't think that that'd be right for me to take my family and have alcohol there present and I just, I can't come. And listen, this may very well cost him a promotion cost him a raise. I'm telling you, standing for the Lord can be a tough deal. Carnal Christian friends. Brother Joe, Climus. <laughs> I'm just going down the line, brother. Yep. <laughs> Tells him to lighten up, not be so strict. I mean, <laughs> don't make this too real, brother Joe. <laughs> I mean, they're in the same church, same Sunday school class. I mean, they're hearing the same messages. But but Sam actually, you know, he's beginning to like apply it. And Joe says, look, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Sunday's fine, but the rest of the week, let's just tone this down a little bit. Tells him his convictions are overboard. Stops inviting him over. For get-togethers or out to eat like they used to do before. Avoids him at church. They used to sit all the time on the west side. West Siders, East Siders. <laughs> now, you know, he no longer sits with him on the West Side. He's on the East Side. Not talking to him. But Sam brings up some spiritual matters. Joe gets defensive. Sensitive. Temperamental. <laughs> Talks bad about him to his other friends. Extended family. <laughs> Brother Jeffrey, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going down the line, brother. So. <laughs> Love you, brother else. Jeffrey. You're a blessing. Yep, absolutely. Why not? <laughs> Criticizes him for being at church instead of being at the family reunion. Help. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, this is fun, isn't it? It seems like we've been here before, but... <laughs> family reunion's on Sunday. Why weren't you there? Well, Sunday's the day when I have my family in church. Oh, is it? I mean, that's like new. Yeah, but I mean, you you could have been there. It went into Sunday night. I mean, you know, well, we, we're in church on Sunday night too. Well, are, don't you don't you love our family? I believe that. Uh, I believe this family member here. He's like in a cult. That's what he is. He's in a cult. He's getting way too into this stuff. Criticizes him for raising his family with godly principles and standards. Says that, you know, if you, uh, 
you, you do put so many restrictions on your kids, they're not going to grow up normal. Well, that'd be a blessing. <laughs> See, all this kind of begins to tighten in. Okay. His kids. Noah, you mind to come and be a Ben's Wonger here for just a minute? I mean, think, is everybody get what I'm saying here? He's come home and he's made changes with his friends even at church. And he's made changes at work. And he's made changes um, with his old friends. And he's made changes even within his family. And, but now, you know, he comes home and he says, uh, Kids, I want to talk to you here a little bit. God worked in my heart in a major way. We've been watching some things that we really shouldn't be watching. Listening to some things we really shouldn't be listening to. We've been uh, living way too loose and... Uh, God's put it on Dad's heart that we're, there's going to be some things change around here. Hmm? Yep, with sons and daughters alike. Well, as children, they don't want to give up their desires and habits. And, and I mean, they used to enjoy not being in church on Sunday night. They complain and rebel against Dad when he tries to make those changes. And Dad begins to talk to his son about his friends and how that he's concerned about certain friends, even in the youth group that he's talking to or concerned about friends at school. And, and the son just can begin to begin, begin to give dad some pushback. It's my life. I want to do what I want to do. I'm telling you, you begin to make some changes in your family. You may even face opposition right in your own home. Entertainment choices, dress choices, all these things. Son sulks and back talks. Just not liking what dad's doing right now. How does a dad keep going when it's like that? And his wife, uh, Miss Joette, is uh, working in the nursery. So we'll just leave her there. <laughs> but I, I'm talking, of course, not about the Benzwanger, but a dad who's trying to lead and a husband that's trying to lead his family in the right way. But even his wife... See, this is where it begins to hit a little bit closer to home, doesn't it? His wife is critical of the time they're spending at the church on the weekend. She's critical of others at church. Hypocrites there. I don't want to spend all my time there around hypocrites. You know, you can come up, when you're under conviction, you can come up with all kinds of excuses. Critical of their use of finances about... Um, missions and tithes. I mean, he's fired up about what God's doing in his life and about the Lord and his relationship with the Lord. Listen, I mean, this is a real deal here. This is not just a man trying to get everybody's attention. This is not a man trying to do this so that he might get something back for it. Here's a man who's fallen, growing in love with the Lord, who's making changes in it, even in his finances. And his wife is giving him pushback and saying, I don't think we need to be giving that much to the church. Hey, listen, that's a real deal. It might be a wife who's wanting to give. And a husband who's not. But here, maybe a husband wanting to give and getting pushed back. How does a man in this situation, and let's just kind of crowd in on him. How does, how does a man with all these accusers, you know, that was good. Get in his bubble a little bit. That's, glad I'm not there, Brother Sam. Thanks for being willing. He's got all kinds of criticism around him. Does any of this relate to where you're living in life? Maybe somebody, and at different times it may be more intense than others. But all this just kind of crowds in on you. What is it that's going to keep you going? 
What is it that at work is going to continue to make a difference where you're not going to compromise? And with your old friends where you, where you don't just say, well, it, you know, what's the use anyways? And, and even at home, and begin to slack up and say, well, okay, you can, you can listen to what you want to, and you can wear what you want to, you can watch what you want to. Hey, but listen, this, this responsibility that you have as a father is not just about a bunch of rules, but it's about a relationship with the Lord and how wonderful that the Lord is. And you're trying to help those young people see that God's got a plan for your life and the Lord loves you and you ought to love the Lord. And, and so all those things, though, it gets very intense and, and family members that are pushing on him and expectations that are there. I'm telling you, all that crowds in. I believe this is exactly where Paul was. And yet he stood. He was not ugly. He was not unkind. He was forthright. Did you hear what he said? There's nothing against me. I mean, I believe that he was very respectful towards Festus, but he's saying, Festus, you have absolutely no grounds. Listen, just because you're a believer does not mean that you don't defend and say what's right. But you always say it in a right way and with the right spirit. Paul spoke the truth. But here's the main thing that I want us to get tonight. What keeps you standing when everything around you is trying to knock you down from living and serving God and making spiritual progress in your life and spiritual progress as a church or spiritual progress as a family? What is it that keeps you going? It would be this, that you firmly believe that Jesus is indeed alive and that you live your life. I'm living my life in honor of who he is. And so because I live my life in honor of who he is that radically changes my life and brings you to a place of blamelessness even though you still have critics Amen. That's, good. Yeah. that's where we live but i believe god don't you know i mean we could go here for a little while have the, at very very strategic times the lord showed up to paul the Lord spoke to Paul. And I believe what happens that as you begin to take a stand at your family or at, at your workplace or here at the church, that God just gives you his word. And as long as you have his word and you have his presence and you know that Jesus is alive and you have a, the reason you know he's alive is because you have a relationship with him that's growing, then you can stand even when the world, the flesh, the devil, and even people that may even be within your circle of friends and acquaintances and family members, even when they're standing against you, you can continue to stand because the Lord is standing with me. Father, tonight I want to thank you that even in the midst of all the struggles of life and the difficulties that tend to come our way, even as it did in Paul's life, God, that he continued to stand because of his firm belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his personal relationship with him and because he had lived a blameless life. And so, Father, tonight I pray that you'd help each and every member of this church to take a stand in a godly fashion. We want to be right in a right way. I want to emphasize that, dear God, help us to do that, to have the right spirit, right attitude, to be straightforward and yet to be of a right temperament. Oh, God, help us with that. And so, Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you, Lord, for how you help us to stand even when others around might be trying to knock us down. I pray for the teens tonight. I pray for the college age who just went to the college conference in Springfield and made some spiritual decisions in their lives, as Brother Landy was sharing with me and Brother Kowser and 
how that you work there. Now they're going to go and try to implement what you've said, and maybe they would face some criticism for it, and people wouldn't understand why they've made some changes. Oh, God, would you help them? God, would you uh, help the parents of this church and the, as they are trying to shepherd, shepherd their child's heart and guide them in the way and making some determinations, oh God. And then beyond that, the uh, members of this church who have been members a long time, but maybe now they're just beginning to get really involved. And, and so, Father, we face opposition from many angles, but we know your grace is sufficient. So I pray that you'd help us here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.